I am glad you're here today. Hey, listen, we have uh, some big things coming up that I just want to remind you of. Next weekend, do not miss next weekend. Next weekend is a significant one. If you've been a part of our church for any length of time, you would know that uh, toward the end of every year, we just, we really invite our church to to step into a season of generosity. I know that we're all about giving gifts and buying gifts for friends and family, and sometimes even the season feels expensive, but I, I really believe there is nothing that God honors more than when we give of sacrifice, that when we say, God, I, I wanna be about your work here in this earth. And so next weekend, December 11th, uh, we're gonna have our special, incredible end of the year type of uh, experience with, we're gonna come and, and it's a free will offering. So if you don't wanna give, you're new, that's, that's okay. Still come because it's gonna be one of the more powerful experiences you'll get to be a part here in our church. We've got some incredible stories to share with you. So make sure you're here for that next weekend. And um, I also wanted to tell you a, a quick update. If you were here a couple weeks ago, I talked about the offering and what we were gonna do with it. We use it to really help us finish the year strong position for ministry next year, but we also take a portion of uh, all our offerings and we put it toward making an impact in our community outside the walls of our, our church. And I talked about six different initiatives that we're gonna be doing um, out of the darkness, a ministry that helps rescue women from trafficking. We're, we're gonna be helping them, a prison ministry. We, we put together care packages. We're gonna be delivering to prisons around Ohio. I mean, all these, uh, foster teen care, we're gonna be providing gift cards. There's so many different things. Many of you served at Hope Day yesterday and we're a part of that, which is incredible. Um, one of the, the um, one of the projects that we had was to help out a community. It's right here in our backyard, a community known as Asheville Estates. And in fact, just yesterday, we got to serve hundreds of meals to people in Asheville Estates as part of our Hope Day project. And it's a community that we have continually invested in. It's kind of an impoverished community right in our backyard. And over the years, we've just built a lot of relationships and we've helped build uh, wheelchair ramps and other things. And when we went to them and said, what, what do you need? What, one of the things that we found out they really wanted was some type of central place to be able to uh, have birthday parties and graduations. They, they don't have anything and their spaces aren't big. And so uh, we got together with somebody and got a quote to build them a shelter house right there central for the whole community to use. There's hundreds of people in that community to use, and it was gonna cost about $18,000, that's without the concrete, and so I, I talked about that a couple weeks ago, and the outpouring of people who just said, I, I wanna be a part of this and help was incredible, and so as a church, we're committing to next year, get that built and put that in the ground as part of the offering that we're gonna take, which is incredible, but I wanted to give a quick little update when I mentioned that, we happen to have somebody in our church who leads a concrete company that has been a partner of ours for a long time, Thompson Concrete, and uh, the owner texted me the following Monday and said, hey, we wanna donate all the concrete for that project. And so I just, you see, there, there's something about generosity that's contagious. There, there's something about generosity that I said is love made visible, that, that, that it's inspiring. And so I, I just wanna tell you, next weekend's gonna be incredible. Do not miss next weekend. Um, but today, we're just gonna continue to, to talk about the heartbeat of Jesus. This series, we've been talking about the church. Not, not just the church around the, the world, but I would say even our church. The title, This Is Us. What, what does it mean to be part of a church community? What does it mean to be part of this 
church community. Here's what I, I know to be true. Um, just like every person is different, so every church is different. Just like you and I, we might both be human, but you have different passions and things that you, are, you, you know, care about, then I might have different passions. So each unique church has its own kind of flavor of how it, how it tries to represent Jesus to the world. And so we've been talking about the heartbeat of our church. And one of the things that matters to me as our primary leader here is that we follow the heart of Jesus. I, I wanna know, if I'm gonna be a Jesus follower, I wanna know what mattered to Jesus. And what matters to Jesus, I just believe should matter to the church, amen? Like, like if, we're, if we're gonna say, I follow Jesus, then I think we should know what really matters to him. And, and so we've been talking about that throughout this. We've been talking about the generosities, the fuel to the mission. We talked about in week one, what was that mission? Jesus said, I came to seek and save the lost, and that there are two roads that people are taking, and our, our goal is to help people what? Do you all know the mission? To help people get on the Okay, okay, I'm glad you're getting it. You're getting it. I like that. Last week we talked about Jesus said, I didn't come to sit, I came to serve. And we had dozens of people sign up for a Welcome to the X experience that's happening later today. I mean, dozens and dozens of over 50 people said, You know what? I'm not just going to come to take a seat, I'm going to take a towel. And, and, and I think that's beautiful. Today I want to show you another side of Jesus. I want to show you another moment that Jesus has with an unlikely person that really gives us some insight into who he is and his heart for people. And so if you have your Bible with you, I'm going to be in John chapter 4 today. John chapter 4. Now, if you don't have your Bible, you don't have one with you, I'm going to put the verses on the screen. But in John chapter 4, we find a, a really interesting encounter that Jesus has with a very unlikely person. And it's a beautiful story, I think, that really shows his heart for people that I want us as his church to get. It shows how Jesus was always looking for the one. In John chapter 4, starting with verse 1, it says this. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees, that was the um, religious ruling body of his day, had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. How dare he? Like, that's awful, isn't it? This is competition. And it says, although in fact it was not Jesus baptizing, but his disciples. So he, here's what he did. He left Judea, and he went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. And when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Simple request, right? And it says in verse 8, John lets us know that his disciples had gone into the town to buy food. Okay, so here's the setting. Here's this moment. Jesus hears through the religious people that they're now talking about how Jesus is gaining popularity over John. And immediately Jesus is like, look, I didn't come here to play this little game. Isn't it funny? I, I always think it's funny how the religious people really tend to be more, talk more about competition amongst people who share the same mission than anybody else. Have you ever noticed that churches so often tend to focus on like, like oh, they're a competitor. Jesus doesn't want anything to do with that. He's like, oh, oh, if that's what you feel, I'll just leave. I'll let John, I'll let John do his thing. He's like, I'll leave. And so Jesus decides that he's going to go back to Galilee, the, 
town by the Sea of Galilee, this kind of a fishing village is where he came from. And he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go take the ministry up there. And, and it said something interesting that always grabs my attention in verse 4. I don't know if you missed it, so I want to put it back up again. It says this, now he had to go through Samaria. I love the, the reference that John made. It doesn't say, okay, now he went through Samaria. But actually, as John wrote this, he said, no, he had to go through Samaria. Now, there, there's, I guess, a couple different, at least two ways of looking at this verse and this moment. If you look on a map where Jesus was in Judea, the southern part here near Jerusalem and over by where John was probably baptizing in the Jordan River, to make your way to Galilee, the north, up to the sea, you geographically would have to go through an area known as Samaria. You, you would have to physically go through it. It's the direct line to go from where Jesus was to Galilee. So I mean, that makes sense. He had to go through Samaria. That's, that's one way of looking at it. But there's another way, and I actually think probably a more convincing way. You see, the, the truth is this. Though maybe it made sense to go directly through Samaria... If you understood anything about the culture in Jesus' day, what you know is that most of the Jews hated the Samaritans. In fact, they, they hated them so much, there was this such of a racial tension that the Jews hated the Samaritans, and because of that, the Samaritans hated the Jews. Now, if you don't know the, the story, they actually all used to be one. At one point, it was all part of the nation of Israel until political things happened and they broke away. And then the Assyrians came in and took captive the, the, the people in the northern part, the Samaritans. And, and here's what they did. This is what the, the Assyrians did, okay? When they would conquer you, they would take many of the women and they would either marry them or just impregnate them. And they diluted the bloodline. That's how the Jews in the southern part saw it. And so now they're like, okay, you're not one of us. And it was very racial, very racial, racial tension that was going on. And they didn't like the Samaritans. Samaritans didn't like them. Which, by the way, if you maybe notice and recognize, this is one of the reasons why when Jesus shows up, he tells a parable of a good Samaritan helping a Jewish guy. Shocks everybody. And the truth is, back then, most of the time, the Jews traveling would go around Samaria and not go through it. They would travel miles around this area because they could not stand the Samaritans. So when I read that he had to go through Samaria, I actually read it a little bit differently. I actually think there was something inside of Jesus pulling him to an area no one else would go. And he goes to this town called Sakar. And they're exhausted, they're tired, it's hot, it's noon, it's midday, the sun is beaten down. They're hungry from their journey. And so Jesus plops down by this well. He just sits there. He doesn't have any way to draw water. He's thirsty. He doesn't have any way to draw water. And the disciples leave to go get food. And Jesus is sitting there all alone. And all of a sudden, a woman comes walking up to this well, carrying her bucket. And Jesus sees this woman, and he says, hey, can I have a drink? Would you be just a neighbor, a friendly person? Would you just give me a drink? And her response is kind of telling about how this whole entire interaction just begins to change. Look, look what it says in verse 9. It says, the Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you dare ask me 
for a drink. You guys hate on me all the time, and now you want something from me? And John puts a little note in there in case we didn't know the backstory, which I just gave it to you. For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. She's shocked that he would even ask her for a drink. By the way, you do know that in this moment, for Jesus to even talk to her was so shocking, this entire moment would have been completely taboo in his culture. For, for a lot of reasons. Um, if you understood how the Jews viewed the Samaritans, see, they, they have this thing um, called the Mishnah. I don't know if you ever heard of the Mishnah. It, it is a, a rabbinic, or the rabbis would interpret the Torah, which is the Jewish law, the Old Testament that we have. And so when they did that, they would write it out in this thing called the Mishnah. And the Mishnah was basically, it'd be like pastors or teachers, okay, who, who would read it, and most of the people were uneducated, and then they would, I'll interpret it for you. It's kind of different today because we all have Bible and we can kind of read for ourselves, right? It's in our translation back then, no. And so according to the Mishnah, in other words, the way the rabbis interpreted the law, Here's, what they, here's how they described it. They would kind of color it, and they would kind of put uh, context around it. Here's what they believed. They believed that if you even entertained or invited a Samaritan into your house, it said this, it would be like um, dumping uh, burning coals, heaping burning coals upon your head. That's how much they hated the Samaritans. And not only was this person a Samaritan, it was a woman. Listen. Women were, were not treated with honor or dignity in this culture. In, in fact, women were not allowed into the part of the synagogue where the men would be taught. So, so they were allowed to kind of get somewhat close, but women, just even then, weren't allowed to go in and hear them teach about God. Okay, so imagine they're already being removed. In fact, uh, uh, there's an old rabbinic phrase that says this, better to burn the Torah than for a woman to read it. Wow. I, I, I want you to get an idea of, of this cultural moment when Jesus begins a conversation with a Samaritan woman. You know what I love about Jesus? See, see, none of the other Jews would do this. Here's what I love about Jesus. He was always willing to break traditions that never reflected the heart of God. Aren't you grateful for that? I love that about Jesus. Here, here's what I love about Jesus. He was always willing to kind of push through when there were, where, there were all these like traditions and they had these interpretations of the law that never reflected the heart of God in the first place. And so Jesus would show up and all the super religious stuffy people, they would avoid certain people and Jesus would go, ah, I'm going to that person. Jesus always moved toward the people that everybody else would avoid. And I think it's so important for us, if we're going to be his followers, if we're going to be part of the church, I think it's critical for us to understand the heart of Jesus. Why? Because most of the time, here's what we do, we tend to lean toward those who are like us. Don't we? Most of the time, we, we tend to associate with people who are like us. I talked about it last week. If you were last week, I just, I just went for it. I just like, I'm just gonna lay it all out. I, I, this is what I see in Jesus. Jesus was always telling his followers and the religious, don't just surround yourself with people like you and the people you like. 
What did he say? He said, run to the broken, run to the cripple, run to the blind, run to the lame, run to the people that no one else will associate. This is what I love about Jesus. If you've always thought, man, I, 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 don't, I don't like God because you met some Christians, I apologize. You did not meet people that were anything like Jesus if you met someone like that. Can I just say, there are a lot of people in this country and around the world that claim to be a Christian, but their life looks nothing like Jesus. We're we, we just gonna call out that hypocrisy in this church. We're not perfect, but let me just tell you, I, I would rather get rid of a bunch of traditions and rules that don't look anything like God and follow after Jesus and try to live like Jesus, love like Jesus, serve like Jesus, and maybe move toward people that everybody runs away from. We're going to move toward the broken. We're going to move toward those with messed up lives. We're going to move toward those with a record. We're going to move toward those who've been in prison. We're going to move toward people like that. Because we're not going to just surround ourselves with people like ourselves. Because that's not what Jesus did. Remember, he had to go to Samaria. I think he had to because he had a divine appointment with this woman. He had a divine appointment with this woman. And so I, I, I love Jesus' response to her. Look at verse 10. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him. And he would have given you, I love this phrase, living water. Now, let me just say, this does seem a little braggadocious. I mean, let's be honest. She comes up and he's like, hey, can I have a drink? She's like, I can't believe you would ask me for a drink. You guys hate me and you've been mean to me all my life and now you want something from me. And Jesus is like, well, actually, if you knew who it was that was standing in front of you, you would ask me. I mean, it, it does come across like that, doesn't it? I get it, I get it. Jesus sounded like a little egotistical, a little whatever. But, but, but this is not what Jesus is doing. What he's trying to do is he's trying to reveal himself to her. He's saying, I know, I know you need something because you came to this well. And I know I asked you for something. But if you actually realized who it was that came and had to go to this moment, came looking for you, if you knew, you would have asked me for something. And he's speaking to her immediate need but doesn't realize that he really wants to address her real need. And, and look at verse 11. Here's her response. I love this. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. How are you going to get water? And then he says this, where can you get this living water? And then she, she drops this other line. Look at this. Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from himself, as did his sons and his livestock? I think she threw that little phrase in there to basically say, you all Jews think that you're better than us, but you got to forget that we actually came from the same person. We came from the same source. That I have just as much right to this as you have a right. I'd say this is her. She's still trying to defend all of this in the moment. And I love what she said to Jesus. I just brought this as a little visual. He said to her, she said to him, I mean, where are you going to get this water from? I got the bucket. You don't. That's what she said to him. You don't even have a bucket. Now, most of us, we never think about this as being a, a source of getting water because we just go to the tap. And, but back then, you needed something like this to pull water out of the ground in a desert-type climate. You had to attach it and wheel it down into the well and pull it back up. It was a lot of hard work to do that. And she looks at him and says, you don't even have a bucket. Okay. 
And then I love Jesus' response back to her. Look at this. I love this exchange, verse 13. Jesus answered, well, everyone who drinks this water, he's pointing to the well, will be what again? Everybody say it. Will be, yeah. You keep coming with your bucket for the well, but whoever drinks in this water will be thirsty. Whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. He says, you keep coming back here, but you keep ending up thirsty. Can we all agree that maybe there's really nothing worse than being thirsty? There, there's nothing worse than thirst, is there? I, I really, I mean, have you ever been so thirsty, like your mouth gets so entirely parched that you just almost feel like you can't get enough to drink? You ever go to a restaurant and they bring you a Coke and it's like before the food's even gotten there, you've had three refills and you're just like, I'm parched today. And you just drink and drink and drinking because you can't seem to get enough. You ever had that happen to you? I think there's nothing worse than being thirsty. Like something in your mind just takes over your body and says, I just have to get water. I, I understand that. Sometimes it's not just water, it's food. There's nothing worse than when you're hungry and you can never satisfy your appetite. You ever do that at night? I'm a late night snacker. Anybody a late night snacker? Oh gosh, it's a problem. Yeah, I, know, don't, I wouldn't clap at that. That's the problem. That is the problem. Every night, late at night, I just, I'm craving stuff and I go to the pantry and I find something sweet and then I eat that that's sweet, but then that didn't really do it. Now I need something salty, so I go get something salty, but then I add the salt, then I need something to wash it down with and then I kind of get the salty. You know, I just, I just this battle every single day because there's something inside of me that is just craving, craving it. Now here's the thing though about your body, my body. Our bodies are designed to crave what we really need. Now, here, you may have never think about this, but when you are thirsty, it's not your mouth that is dry. I mean, I know your, your mouth is dry, but that's not the problem. Maybe you didn't know this, but your body, my body, uh, they say is made up of at least 60% water. Did you know that? Like we're 60% at least water. Most of our cells is made up of water in our body. And what happens is your brain is constantly monitoring your water level, the salinity level in your body, and whether it's sweat, perspiration, going to the bath, whatever it is, when your water level gets low, your brain sends these things to your receptors in your mouth where you go, some water because I'm parched and we think it's our mouth that needs water but it's not it's actually it's 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 letting us know there's a deeper problem you, you realize that right your body needs water it's something deeper I sometimes when you you thirst for something it's an indication I'm trying to show you it's an indication of something deeper our our um our family dog Harley I've talked about him before but I remember when we first kind of discovered he has diabetes, and I've shared this before, but the way we found out was he was thirsty all the time. And we would fill up his water dish, and he would drink it down, and then an hour later he wanted again, and, we'd, and so we just kept giving him water. We didn't, we're like, man, he's a thirsty dog. We just keep giving him water. And then we'd end up with, with spots all over our house. And he would pee everywhere in our house. And finally, after doing this for several days or a couple weeks, my wife goes, maybe there's a, a deeper problem. She said, I bet he's got diabetes. Guess what? Sure enough, we have a dog with diabetes. We have to give him insulin twice a day because we have a dog with diabetes. But here's what, I, here's what I discovered with this dog. 
his thirst was actually more of a, a symptom of the deeper problem. He had a deeper problem. And there's things that we desire in this world. Here's the thing. We don't even realize they point to a deeper need. Did you know that? There's things in our lives that we all desire. And what we don't realize is that every thirst that we have, every craving that we have actually is pointing to a deeper need within all of us. And here's what we're doing. We're going through life and we're just filling our bucket with anything and everything that would quench that thirst in a moment. That's what we're doing. You and I, that's what we do. In this world, we are filling our buckets. What do I mean by that? Well, because inside all of us, there's this natural craving and desire for affirmation. We, we want to know, does someone love me, see me, affirm me? And so here's what we do. When we desire affirmation in other people, rather than in the source, the God who created us, all we do is just keep posting for more likes and more comments. We need more attention. And, and every time we get it, it feels good for a moment. Go, 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 go. It feels good for a moment. But here's what Jesus said. You keep coming back to that same well. We're filling our bucket. Every time we struggle with our self-worth and our significance in our life, right? You, you know what we tend to do? We tend to look for it in any well we can find. We, oh, maybe this job, maybe this career, maybe if I get this title, maybe if I, can, if I can finally this, then I'll feel important, then I'll feel valued, then maybe my kids will respect me. If I make a certain amount of money, then maybe I will. And so what do we do? We go from well to well to well trying to get well. Right? We go from place to place trying to satisfy our thirst, filling our bucket every place we go. Here's another one that we do. Sometimes we don't realize that we were made for intimacy. God created you and me to have an in intimate and authentic relationship with him. And when we don't have that, guess what we do? We seek it out from other people, but what we're trying to get from them is not what they can give us because it's only what God created us for that can match that need. And so what do we do? We just live thirsty lives, going from person to person to person, from bed to bed to bed, and it's good for a moment, but guess what? We keep going back to that same well over and over again. This is what Jesus is talking about. He wasn't talking about the water in this well. He was talking about what was in her well. And the truth is this. We can never satisfy internal cravings through external means. And we try it all the time. We do. All the things that we desire naturally, let me just say this. They're not bad. It's where we go, the source that we go to meet that need that sometimes keeps us coming back over and over because it's not the way God intended it. Because it's not what God intended. And we'll never satisfy these cravings. The only way, listen to me, the only way to address the condition of our soul is from within. It's not around us. It's not in a person. It's not in a job, it's not in a career, it's not making a certain amount of money, it's not having security, it's not, the, you will never be able to address the condition of your soul from around you, it has to happen within you. 
That's what Jesus was talking about. And that's why this woman, I think, in this moment is really starting to feel something. I think something was starting to stir in her as Jesus was talking to her. In verse 15, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and keep having to come here to draw water. What does Jesus do? He says, he told her, go call your husband and come back. No, 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 I, I want this water you're talking about. I know. Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Verse 18, the fact is, Jesus said, you've had five husbands. And the man you now have, the guy you're living with, is not your husband. What you have said, what you've just said is quite true. Now, I, I want to um, take a moment to, to unpack this exchange because for the longest time growing up and around the church, and I, I would imagine even at times before when I've preached from this passage, I think I've sometimes maybe done a disservice. I think sometimes we collectively in our current cultural context have maybe done a disservice to this poor woman. I think whenever we hear about somebody who's had five failed marriages, is now living with the person, not even married, in our current context, we, we immediately, what do we do? We, we start to judge that person. Ooh, man, I can, and this person, maybe, maybe she just lives a promiscuous lifestyle. I mean, she got a shady past. And this girl can't keep a man. I mean, you want to talk about, she is thirsty. She's going from man to man, relationship to relationship. Right? That, that's, that's what we think. But then as I, I really began to um, try to understand, not this woman from my culture, from my point in history, but when I tried to understand this woman from her culture and her point in history, I got to be honest, I think she maybe is more of a victim of a culture that really mistreated women. That's what I think. You realize that th this woman who, who's been divorced five times. You, you know what's interesting as I was studying about Jewish law and actually uh, in some places still true over old Jewish law that presides over family matters? Guess what? The woman can't file for divorce. Only the man can. You realize that? The, the, the woman in that culture did not have rights. Did, did not have, like, she, she was seen more as property than she was with human dignity, to be honest. And you know what's crazy is that some of that has still carried on to today. I, I know because when I went over to Israel a few years back, I remember going to the site where the, the temple, when Jesus was there, used to exist. And the only part that's left is part of a wall. It's called the Wailing Wall. And I remember our group, we came up to the Wailing Wall, and as you look at this Wailing Wall, where there's all these Jewish people who are there praying at the wall, one thing you'll notice is that all of them are men. Because listen, women were not even allowed to go that close to the holiest place that was left, the wall, part of the, 
to pray, only the men. It still exists today. And so I want you to understand that this poor woman existed in a culture where the way they interpreted the law, by all men, by the way, put this woman at a massive disadvantage. See, in Deuteronomy chapter 24, at the beginning, uh, Moses permitted that a man could divorce his wife. And this was the confusion around a term around um, if she displeased him. And so according to the, the, again, like I said, the Mishnah, which is this kind of written interpretation of the law, again, by all men who did this, that had been defined for them in such specific ways like this. Uh, one rabbi that defined it back then said that, that a man could divorce his wife if she displeased him in any way, any way. Now listen, I, I don't know if any of you have been married, but if you've been married at least a week, I promise you, you probably found at least one reason you would have divorced your wife. I'm not saying you would have, but all she had to do is displease you. One little area, and it's like, oh, I can file a divorce and send her away. Or, or one, one rabbi's interpretation said this, that one of this, what does this mean, this phrase, for if she displeases him, but one of them, based on the word and the interpretation, said, oh, it means if she burns his food. I'm serious. So, so maybe this woman, this poor woman, was a terrible cook. And so she got married, and then he was like, you can't cook like my mom, and divorced her, and then she gets married again, and gets divorced her again, okay? Um, another possible reason, because it was so open to interpretation, and basically, here's what it was. If you're a man, and you just didn't want her anymore, you could get rid of her, and you could give her a, a certificate of divorce. And by the way, being a divorcee in this culture was probably one of the worst things you could be. A widow, hey, that's not your fault the church, to help take care of you. But if you were divorced, eat, it was like a black mark on your life. It was a black mark on you. And so I look at this story, and Jesus, she says, I, I want this living water. And Jesus says, okay, go get your husband. And she said, I don't have a husband. And Jesus knew. He knew her story. He says, yeah, you've had five. And I think we've looked at this, like, man, this woman, she's just, she's not a good person. And as I kind of restudied this, I realized, no, that's not true at all. In fact, I, I don't know exactly why. None of us really know, obviously, why. But for a woman to be married five times was really strange back then. Because if you had a black mark of being thrown away, so in other words, there was a problem with you, why would somebody else want you? You know what comes to my mind? This is just my guess. This is my own personal guess. I bet she was incredibly beautiful. And I bet she couldn't have children. That's just my guess. Could be a million other things. But for some reason, guys desired her. But then for whatever reason, they didn't do for him. She didn't do for him what they really wanted. And so they just threw her out. And when you understand this, it completely changes why Jesus said it. It helps us understand Jesus' response. Because listen to me. In the past, it was almost like, well, before Jesus is going to give you the living water, he's going to call out your sin. I don't know about that. I actually see it from a different perspective. I think it's Jesus saying, I want to give you living water, but I want to address the very thing you so desperately need that you have not been able to get. I want to address where it's led to your sense of brokenness, the need that has not been met no matter where you've gone, and you're now with a guy who won't even give you the dignity of marrying you. 
And so the reason I believe Jesus says this is because in love, he's pointing to the area of her need that she needs desperately more than anything else. And Jesus points it out so that he can minister, not so he can call out her sin, but so that he can look at her and she can see what grace really looks like. So that she can see what it looks like where a man would show her love and dignity that she hadn't seen maybe ever in her adult life. Can I just tell you, if we are going to be the church, and if we are going to follow Jesus, let me just tell you, if we are going to be like him, where we're not going to judge people based on external appearances, but realize that no matter what someone's struggling with, an addiction, divorce, mess up in their life, whatever they're going through, we understand that there's a deeper hurt that's happening underneath of that. And we're not going to judge them based on the exterior, but what we're going to do is we're going to carry hope to them. We're going to show grace to them. We're going to take the love of Jesus to them. And listen, if we're going to give hope To a thirsty world, we have to have Jesus, listen, in us. See, if we're going to carry the same kind of hope that Jesus had into conversations like he had with this woman, listen to me. We have to carry Jesus in us. I have nothing to give this world on my own. But Jesus in me, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you. That's why maybe when Jesus would speak later, John 7, 38, Jesus said something really powerful. He said, whoever believes in me, whoever says yes to Jesus, as scripture has said, rivers of what? Can you all say that out loud? Rivers of living water will flow from where? Within them. Oh, I love this. By the way, this whole idea of living water, like we hear that term, what does that mean? This word life that is used is a verb, and it's meant full of vigor, full of like enjoy life, like someone who is just full of real life. It doesn't just mean alive. It means someone who has something worth living for. And Jesus says that when you say yes to him, the scripture tells us that his spirit comes as a deposit inside of you so that living water is inside of you. Oh, by the way, the reason Jesus didn't need a bucket is because he was the bucket. Where are you going to get water from? Jesus is like, I don't need this. I am this. I'm the bucket. Can I just tell you something if you're a follower of Jesus? You're the bucket. You're the bucket, and I'm the bucket. And when the Spirit of Jesus lives inside of us, there's a living water that is life for you, but it's meant to spill over. It's meant to bring life to others. You and I are the bucket, and everywhere we go, we are meant to spill out the living water and hope of Jesus to a broken world. That's what we're called to be. I'm the bucket. Everybody say, I'm the bucket. I'm the bucket. You're the bucket. That's why our, our mission, our mission, we've been saying it every week, is helping people get on the path to God. I, I, I just want to be the bucket. You know, you know what that means? That means living my life in a way that makes a difference in every conversation that I have. He had to go through Samaria 
I wonder if there are places that God wants to send you and me. I don't know why I just had to go to that store. Sometimes I'm so distracted by all the things that I think I need that I miss. I wonder how many times I miss the opportunities to be the bucket. Just in a simple conversation. This is just a moment where Jesus is thirsty for some regular water. But he uses it as an opportunity to lead this poor woman to the living water. You know, there's a, a quote that I love by a guy named D.T. Niles. He said this, he said, Christianity, you want to know what it is. Christianity is just one beggar telling another beggar where he found bread. You want to know what it means to follow Jesus? My own translation of that is Christianity is one thirsty person telling another thirsty person where he found water. That's what it is. It's not more complicated than that. I think sometimes we think it's really complicated and I got to know all this stuff and I got to, no, no you don't. It's, I, I'm thirsty and I, I needed hope. And Jesus was that hope. And now he's living inside of me through his spirit. And he wants me to carry that to everyone I see. You know, that's exactly what this woman does. I want to show you this and then we're going to wrap up in verse 39. It says, many of the Samaritans from that town, listen, believed in him, Jesus, because of the woman's, her story? Listen to what she said. He told me everything I ever did. Oh, my gosh. We think, Jesus, please don't tell everybody what I ever did. That, that sounds awful. He just told me about everything I ever did. And so, so when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days. Remember, he had to go through Samaria. This was a moment. And because of his words, many more became believers. She said, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. See, when we hear that, most of us feel shame. But this woman didn't encounter someone that made her feel shamed. She encountered someone who gave her grace. And all of a sudden, her story, been married five times. I'm embarrassed, I'm ashamed, I've been thrown out. She's not embarrassed by it anymore. Because I don't need all that. I found the living water. And her story so powerful that it reached an entire village. You know, sometimes we, we read a story from the Bible. It was written 2,000 years ago about a nameless woman, a Samaritan woman by the well. Doesn't have an identity. And I think sometimes we just think it's some story 2,000 years ago that doesn't really matter that much today. But what if this woman did have a name? What if this woman's name was Paige. That's a nice name. What if her name was Paige? What, what I mean by that is that I think just like her, there's so many of us today that are going through life and we're just trying to find something real, something to meet the deepest need. And what we don't realize is all it takes is one person who cares enough about us to invite us to experience Jesus. Just like Paige from our church experienced. Watch her story.
Hi, my name is Paige, and I've been coming to X Church for almost a year. I'm a social worker, drug and alcohol counselor. Um, that's the population that I have my prime focus on. I originally went to college for physical therapy, and I changed my major because my family was deeply affected with addiction. My little brother, who is my best friend, suffered from addiction for years. And um, when he was deep in his addiction, it was just something in me that I didn't ever want to see an individual or a family member ever have to go through something like that. I was raised in a Catholic church. And throughout my childhood, um, we were like that family that showed up to church on Sunday and had to act like everything was prim and proper, um, and it really wasn't. We had a lot of events happen in my life with death, um, like abuse, addictions, um, and my parents got divorced. And after the death of my brother, the church wasn't so kind to my family. So we stopped going. After that, I struggled. I didn't have a relationship with God. I didn't want one because I spent a lot of time asking like, why does this stuff have to happen to me and my family? And I really struggled like with even accepting the fact of having a relationship with God, you know? So I first started coming to X Church because um, Tommy, I just watched, I guess, him grow as a person and I saw how much him coming to church and God changed him that, you know, it kind of spiked an interest with me. And then I remember last year um, in December, they had a worship night and Tommy just so happened to invite me and I did not want to come. Like, I was just like, there's no way. I, like, no way. But something was telling me, like, third time's a charm, right? And so I went, and then I got invited back for the Christmas service, the Christmas experience, and um, I showed up. And I remember loving every bit of that experience. Um, hearing Pastor Tim speak. And I remember at the end of it, he prayed over us and everybody's eyes were closed. And he said something like, if you prayed that prayer with me, raise your hand. And like, I was like, I'm not gonna raise my hand. I prayed the prayer and I was like, I'm not gonna raise my hand. And I was sitting there and I was like, I'm not. And just something like in me and my hand went up. And I remember sitting there and I was just like, just in awe. And then I left and I've been a regular ever since. <laughs> Prior to coming to X Church, um, I would say that I was in a very dark place, surrounding myself with people that were just toxic for me encouraging bad behaviors and just overall negativity in my life and 
that was just the way for me to cope for a lot of things, was to stay busy doing all the wrong things. And, you know, I had a lot of depression and anxiety uh, that, you know, obviously I still deal with day to day, but it's a whole lot different now. Because of Tommy inviting me to worship night and then to the Christmas experience, uh, my whole life has changed. Me as a person has changed. I've grown a relationship with God that I had fully given up on and I wasn't willing to even think about repairing that until I walked into church for those two experiences and just that invitation changed my whole life and I hope that moving forward I can extend an invitation that helps change somebody's life as well that's so cool see I think it's great for us to be reminded about the power of our story how God wants to use you, he wants to use me. And every day, simple encounters at, around the cooler, the water cooler, the well at work, the school, the class, with your friends, that God wants to use you. And when you've experienced the life that he's given you, the living water, you, you become the bucket now. And now you're, you're carrying this. That's what I love. We don't just come to church to experience it. You carry it with you. You carry this with you. And as a church, it's our greatest desire to carry hope to the world around us. That's why we do things like Hope Day. It's because there's going to be, you know, thousands of people impacted, whether it's meals for a community nearby, whether it's packing meals and sending them around the world to Burma, or care packages that we're gonna send into the prisons. There's so many people in this world and all they wanna know is do I matter? Does anybody see? And I think the greatest thing that the church could do is say we see you, because that's what Jesus would do. Thanks so much for tuning in to this message. I hope that it encouraged you and inspired your faith. If God is doing something in your life, would you take a moment and let us know? We wanna connect with you and we wanna be able to pray for you. All you have to do is shoot us an email to hello at the x.church or you can always send us a DM on one of our social media platforms. And if you know somebody that would also be encouraged by this very message, why not take a moment and just share it with them right now? And as always, I wanna say thank you to every single person who so generously financially supports this ministry so we can continue to get messages like these out to people all over the world. We believe God is building something special and you're a significant part of it. Until next time, have a great day.